commitment because some of these things are contrary to us, but what they are is they're part of God's Word. And the idea in marriage is to be underneath the shadow of God's wings or in the place where God blesses us. And so again, looking at some of the things that we're commanded to do, you may come up with the mindset that's hard or that does not make sense or I don't know if I want to do that. But again, it's all about presenting God the sacrifice that He will bless. We did devotions in children's ministry this morning in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to the world, but transformed through the renewing of your mind. And Paul, he, as he was in the writing the, the, the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters are the richest doctrines in all of the Scripture. And those are the things that we are to study. And that's what Romans is about. It's about the studying, but it's also about the sacrificing, about being that living sacrifice. And so as we study these concepts, it's about taking these concepts into our lives, embracing them, and then doing them. And that's the problem in a lot of our lives. I'll put myself in that same boat. We don't always do them. Sometimes we have a better idea. And so what we're going to be looking at here today, we'll look at We'll be fixing the woman today, we'll fix the men next week, but today we're going to be looking at what is necessary, ladies, to properly care, the proper care and maintenance of a husband. In your marriage, if I asked you to write a list of requirements and necessities of a husband, or maybe who your husband needs to be, a lot of you would start out that list, well, he needs to, and then you would go on from there it would probably turn around and be filled with, well, he's not doing, or he needs to do, or he can't do. But marriage was not created for our will. Marriage was created for the will of God. It wasn't created for what you want. It was created for what God wants and what God desires. Marriage was the first institution established by God after creation. And so that tells me that this is something very important. Here God creates mankind and he's got a purpose and a plan for man. And the first thing he does is join husband and wife together to fulfill his wishes and his desires. Marriage was not and is not intended to fulfill your needs, wants, or desires. That is God's job. Husbands and wives are brought together for the fulfillment and the purpose of what God's plan is. God's plan, probably the first one, would be to raise godly children, to be a witness for your children and see them raised in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then out from there, well, everything that God's ministries are based upon is the giving of God's word. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21, it says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete or mature in every good work, and marriage is the best work, to do his will, working in you what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So mankind's purpose is to do the will of God. And so that only goes to follow that our purpose, my wife and myself, our purpose in our marriage is to see God's will fulfilled in our marriage. So that's got to be your number one priority, and that's got to be where everything, everything leads to. Everything in your life leads to. The Bible says to seek first the kingdom of heaven, and then everything will be added to you. So if you feel like you're missing out, 
Are you really seeking first the kingdom of heaven in the midst of your marriage? And that's got to be the focal point. How can we best serve God? My wife and I, as we've served God, God has blessed every step of the way. Before I was a pastor, I was just a servant in a local church. And my wife and I, we worked together. We worked hand in hand in that. She had her areas of expertise, if you will, and I had my areas of expertise. Even in the work of ministry at church, I was in children's ministry. She was a support to me in children's ministry. When I became a leader in children's ministry, I led during the service times. She would make phone calls and stuff like that, backing me up, watching over my kids during those times. Problem? Spouses look to their companions to be God in their lives. Maybe you won't say that outwardly or upfrontly, but nonetheless, we so expect our spouses to be God in our lives. A lot of times we go into marriage with bad expectations. We go into marriage expecting our spouse to provide us with happiness, contentment, stability, provision, love, and even peace. And let me ask you, is there any human being that can provide for those things? No. There's no human being that is going to provide you with those things. Matter of fact, We're having an election coming up. I believe it's November 4th, the midterm elections. We're going to throw the old bums out, and we're going to bring the new bums in. And the thing about it is we're going to buy everything the new bums are saying because we so want to buy what they have to say. And what are they going to do? They're going to make this a better place. They're going to give us a better life. But the problem is they're not God. And sooner or later, the new bums will be just as bad as the old bums, and we'll throw them out. And we'll bring the new one in. The reason I call them bums, that was somebody's quote from so ever long ago. I don't really recall. But what we expect the next president to be, the next congressman to be, the next mayor to be, whoever, we expect them to be God. But they are not going to bring us a better life. It's God who does that. And as we're seeking God out with all of our heart, it's then that we find that God will bless our lives. So don't expect your spouse to be your provider provide you with happiness, to provide you with whatever, that comes from the Lord. See what happens when those things aren't provided, though, in the midst of marriage, when they're expected and not provided for, and I've seen this in the counseling room, then all of a sudden there's bitterness, there's animosity, and even the desire, and I've seen it, it's a very ugly thing, very seriously, revenge. If you're not going to give me this, then I'm not going to give you that. If you're not going to give me what I want or what I desire, I'm not going to give you what you want and you desire. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, in my mind, I always have this picture of a boxing ring. And they pulled back into their respective corners. And if you ever watched a boxing match, they got their guys. In one corner, you got the trainer and everybody caring for him. And then you got the other corner and the trainer and everybody caring for them. And you got their people. And it's the same thing that happens in marriage when it's reduced to that. You bring your people around you and they're supporting you. And they bring theirs and they're supporting them. And then you two meet in the middle and you go to town on one another. And it's an ugly thing. It's a very ugly thing. And you see it and it can just be so sad. Marriage ends up being a place of haplessness, discontentment, instability, a drain, lack of love, and anything but a peaceful environment. If that describes your marriage today, prayerfully you came to the right place. You came to the right place because there's change that's going to be worked. And men, since I'm talking about fixing the ladies today jokingly, I'm not. It's going to have to be about God speaking to their heart, but God speaking to your heart. And it's going to have to be an act of submission on your part that we submit ourselves not so much to one another, but submit ourselves to God and to submit ourselves to God's way. Because Proverbs chapter 14, 
verse 12 tells us there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. And again, it's that which I had to learn. There was a lot of ways that seemed right to me in marriage, and I found out they were the wrong ways. They were the wrong ways because, you know, I was raised with, with two other brothers and my dad. And my dad was kind of a man's man, and he was kind of domineering, and my dad kind of dominated over, well, over the whole family. I tried that. It didn't work. I tried to be a little domineering, and it just wasn't, wasn't me, and it was my dad, and it just wasn't, well, it just wasn't what I wanted out of my marriage and out of my, my family life. Many marriages have died slow deaths because of preconceived notions and unfulfilled expectations. And again, I see the best way is just to come as you come before the Lord, just emptied of yourself and set aside pride and to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did the Lord Jesus Christ do in your personal relationship? He filled you. How much more so when you come before the Lord with your spouse? To come before your spouse emptied of yourself. And Lord, fill me with your ways so that I can be the proper minister, husband or wife, to my spouse. Be careful that you're not expecting your spouse to be God in your marriage because that spouse will fall desperately short. So ladies... Why did God build your marriage and insert you excuse me, as the wife of that specific home? Why did God give you that particular man? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, I use this a lot of times in my marriages. Here's Adam. He's all alone, but you've got to realize he's the first guy that ever existed. He's got all these critters running around. He doesn't really know that he's alone at that point. And so what God did is he had him name everything. And so there he is. He's got these two elephants, and these two elephants are presented to him, male and female. And so he names them elephant. And so there's an argvard, and he names it argvard, and so on and so forth. And he's coming to an understanding here. There's a hippopotamus, and the best mate for a hippopotamus is another hippopotamus. And he had to see their contentment with one another. Like you couldn't put a hippopotamus with a chihuahua. It just doesn't work. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's a fondness that we have for our pets and animals, but as far as to fill that void, it just doesn't work. And then Adam came to the point, I'm alone. Every, all these other animals, they have that which is comparable to them, but I've got nothing that is comparable to me. And it's then that God brought him a helper. Now, again, it's not that she's a helper just because that's all that she's able to do or able to be. He gave her a helper because he couldn't do it himself. That's why God brought me a wife, because I can't do it all myself. I'm not able. I, I could not be the person. I could not be standing behind this pulpit without my wife in my life. I would be disqualified. I just would not be able to do it. I need somebody to help me. And God determined that it would be that one particular woman who was seated in the back. And so, ladies, since your husband is ill-equipped by himself to be used by God to build a home, the Lord determined that you were the suitable companion for him. God knows me better than I know myself and determined in my life that the best helper for me would be a Terry. Would be a Terry. And so God stuck us both at J.C. Penney's back in 1978. I was in sporting goods and hardware, and she was in bedding, two separate sides of the store. But it just so happens that her warehouse, you'd have to walk through my department. And so there she would be going every so often, walking through my department. And I'd wonder, who is that? 
I'd like to know who that is. And so I would go down and check, because all the schedules were down in the basement there. And who's working? Oh, Terry Ladaney. Her name is Terry Ladaney. And so I asked people about Terry Ladaney very discreetly, so not to get any suspicions going or anything like that. And Well, I'd like to get to know her. Well, we'd take breaks, and so I'll see if I can fix it. So I take my lunch or take my break at the same time. So I'd look on the schedule when she's taking her break, and I'd work mine out to go and take my break at the same time. Little did I know she was doing the same thing, so we never had breaks together because she was always on my break and I was always on her break. But it was the beginning. It, it, it was the start, and God got us together, and it was, seemed like a matter of months after we started dating that we just knew that God desired that we would be husband and wife. I can still remember the time that we first brought up marriage. I didn't just propose out of the blue. But we started talking about it. We were on Harbor Boulevard. We were just south of Commonwealth. We were going to turn left on Commonwealth and go to her house that was on Amridge. And I remember as we were in that left-hand turn lane is the first time that we brought it up and started talking about it. It was a process. It turned out to be about a year and a half process before we actually got married. But again, God was doing a work. And I can look back. And even though we were not saved at that time, I truly see that God brought that spouse, God brought her into my life for what would turn out to be his reasons and his purposes. My wife has been the biggest influence in my life for Christianity. She has been the biggest influence in my life. I would not say that I would not be saved if it wasn't for her, because that's God's job. But God used her more than any other influence in my life to bring me not only into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but to keep me accountable and to keep me moving forward in my Christian life. And so as God knows us, men and women, better than we know ourselves because he's the creator, that being the case, concerning this ministry of a spouse, this ministry of a spouse, looking at the wife today, well, Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And when we read something like that, we can so easily look at things and stuff but it's not really about things and stuff. It's about the people in our life. And God has provided for my need through her. God provided for Adam's need through Eve. God's provided for your need through either the person sitting next to you or somebody that you'll need to recognize in the Lord as God's provision for you in the years to come. Now, this being said, who is the only one who can mess up the ministry to your husband? Most men are kind of scared now because they go, oh, yeah, it's me. No, it's you, ladies. You're the one who can mess up that ministry to your husband as you're not doing it God's way, as you're not seeking out the Lord. Well, you don't understand him. You don't understand who he is. You don't understand. He's a completely different person than he is here at the church at home. None of that matters. Those are just all excuses. It's all about who God has told, God has commanded for you to be, and how God has commanded for you to be. Because I've heard it all, and I've even been that way sometimes. Problem in our society today, women today have stepped out from underneath the shadow of God's wings. We've gone according to various pop psychologists, various celebrities, and various people with good and great ideas, and the majority of us no longer reside underneath the shadow of God's wings or that place that God will bless our role in marriage. 
Now, I know that every woman here pretty much has lists. I know these guys. I got a list on most of these guys of all their bad points and shortcomings and all of these things. These lists, though, are of why you need to step out from underneath God's wings, the shadow of God's wings, are exactly the reasons why you need to stay there. We can take our list from stepping out and compare it to other people's lists, but God's list is going to win every single time. God's, you made vows for each other. You made vows to become husband and wife, to be joined together by God. And I know there's people that have been divorced here and all of that, but we have to take the snapshot of today, of right now. And that's what Christianity is, is leaving the past behind and moving forward in the Lord Jesus Christ. And starting today, the making the decision, man or wife, that I'm going to do it God's way. Because as I stood before all of those witnesses and that pastor, and before God himself and made vows, I need to hold those vows dear. I need to hold them precious. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Now think about that in the context of marriage. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. If you're not doing what God has called you to do, if you're not being who God has called you to be, if you, are you really trusting in God, or are you trusting in your own perception of how things need to be? And again, your own perception of how things need to be ultimately is the flesh. The reality of what God has called you to do and who God has called you to be is of the Spirit. So trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Again, it's the flesh. In all of your ways, and prayerfully this week and next week we'll be taking some inventory here. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge God, who I am to be in the Lord, and then He shall direct your paths. He shall direct your marriage. You may say... What about what I, in my heart, know that I need to do or I need to be? Well, your heart is desperately wicked, and it can be very deceitful. And that's why we depend upon the Word of God, because this is what, again, God blesses. This is the direction that God has set us. So he creates Adam and Eve, and Adam realizes, well, creates Adam. Adam realizes he's alone. He creates Eve, and the two are joined together. Well, Pastor Mike, it kind of falls apart because didn't sin enter in right after that? Well, a lot of our marriages, that kind of is how it went. We got married, and then all of a sudden I realized she's not the perfect angel that she pretended to be when we were dating. And you can say the same thing about your man, but none of us are perfect because it's when we get married and after a while that I don't have to be on my A-game anymore. I can let some of the warts show now. Some of the things that I covered up, some of my shortcomings that I pretended didn't exist, I can go back to being myself because after all, I got him or I got her. Well, we need to see the importance of pouring our hearts into what God has given us. And again, as God has given us this institution of marriage, it was to strengthen one another in him. So again, I'll ask that question that I always ask whenever I do a study on marriage. Is that spouse, that person possibly even sitting next to you right now, are they closer to Jesus Christ because of your part in their life? Are they closer to Jesus Christ today than they were before because they are married to you? If all of these things are true, then they need to be, and we need to be working on that. So what does God's word say to do? Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. I always preface it with this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. 
Now, the very first thing in the next verse, wives are told to submit to their husband, and that word is very rarely used in a husband's role of ministering to his wife in love. But verse 21 tells us that we are to submit to one another in the fear of God. So a wife is commanded to submit to her husband, but a husband is also commanded to submit to his wife. And the harder it is, the more an act of submission it is, and greater is your obedience to God. And again, I'm not telling anybody that you need to be abused or deal or put up with any of that, but I'm just talking about in our day-to-day marriages, my role as the husband is to be an act of submission, of dying to self and living to the Lord. And so ground rules for marriage are your place under the shadow of God's wings. We are commanded to submit to one another first because in God's sight, both husband and wife, we are both of equal value in the sight of God. Equal value in the sight of God. Matter of fact, that should strike terror into my heart, especially as the one who's been called to be the spiritual leader as the husband. That kind of places her in a little bit different category than just my wife. She's my sister in the Lord. She's God's daughter. And God has taken her and given someone who he died for upon the cross, given her to me under my stewardship. And you can reverse that with ladies. A husband is the same thing. He's your brother in the Lord or God's child that God has given you, somebody who is very precious in his sight. We are both of equal value in the sight of God. And secondly, a yielding and submissive spirit is ready to fulfill the will of God towards our spouses, motivated by a desire to please God, not a desire to get what you're able to get from that person. Because love, defined as the world defines it, is giving love in order to get something. If I love, and you can look at every aspect of of fleshly love, of worldly love, it's almost always based upon what you're able to get sacrificial love, agape love, love that's in the scriptures is all about giving. And it's even deeper than that. It's sacrificially giving. It's the giving of yourself. So as you have two people in a marriage that are of the mindset of give of themselves, then you're going to have that, that union that God truly does bless. Again, understand that we are not yielding, that we are not submitting so much to the wife or submitting to the husband, but we are submitting to God in these things. And so I hope you don't leave here today with a desire to please yourself or even your spouse, but a desire to please God. Please God through doing these things and seeing God move in your lives. So, ladies, verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. And what he's speaking of here is, is that somebody had to be the leader. There's husband and wife, there's Adam and Eve. Somebody had to be the leader, and God is telling us he's chosen to man the man to stand up and to be the leader. We'll go on with a little bit of that in just a while. But then look down at verse 33 we kind of get a little bit of a better description of that submission. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, that's the husband's role of submission, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
I'm glad that my wife loves me. There's people here at church that say that they love me, and that's all fine and dandy. Love To be loved isn't, isn't that important to me. I, I, it's hard to really express this. It, it's not real high on my list of priorities, but to be respected. As a man, that's my desire, is to be respected. To be respected for what I do, to be respected for who I am. To be respected, and again, it's part of my, my uh, responsibility as well, to be respected as a man of integrity and a, and a man of character. It's important that my wife knows those things and acknowledges those things. And if when she says she loves me, but I perceive there's that respect for me, it means even so much more. Now, we'll look at it a little bit next week. My wife, it's not so much about respect, it is about love. And there's basically that two-way street because God has created them male and female. He didn't create them male and female. He created them male. He created me. I'm the male, and I got all the male parts, the male physiology, and the male mental, and all of that stuff. And he created her with all the female and all that other stuff and everything going on. And then he joined them together. And what did he join them together? to fulfill the image of God. He created them in his image, male and female. So Mike, since I've been called and commanded to be married to a Terry, I could never fulfill the image of God by myself. And Terry, as she's been called to be married to me, she could never fulfill the image of God by herself. Now there's people who God has not called to be married, and they can do that, but I can't, she can't. But it's together that we are able to do that. And so I need her, she's essential for the work of ministry, for me to fulfill God's will in my life. And so, this is going to be the difference, ladies, of what's fair and makes you happy versus what is right and makes you holy. You've been commanded to, you've been commanded to respect Him. And again, just as He's going to be commanded to sacrificially love you, you need to sacrificially respect Him. Maybe He's not going to be deserving of respect. That just gives you a better opportunity to sacrificially respect him. Not superficially, but sacrificially. Sacrificially respect him. Because what that does is a man, it builds him up. And what are we all? We're all building projects. We're all projects. You're such a project. My wife actually tells me that a lot. And there's some truth to it. But there's a lot of truth to it. We're all projects. We're all being built up in our Christian lives. And how much more so as a husband, being built up and growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God, as he has this mighty work, and maybe you're even thinking today, well, yeah, he's got this mighty work and seen what is necessary, but Pastor Mike, it's going to take a miracle. Well, know this, God won't do by a miracle what he has called you to accomplish through obedience. God won't do through a miracle what he has called you to accomplish through obedience obedience. And so sacrificially respect your husband. And I guarantee you, as you sacrificially respect your husband, you're going to see change in him because again, that's our desire. And maybe he's a jerk because that desire isn't being fulfilled. But it's your ministry. It's your ministry to fulfill that desire of his. Now, he may not say, what do you desire for me more than anything else? Well, it's to be respected. He may not come to that conclusion but it's there, and I'm here to tell you, it's there. I like to be respected. I wanted to be respected when I was in the trades as an electrician. 
I wanted to be respected as a father. Definitely wanted to be respected as a husband. Be respected as a pastor. That's what just my inner desire is because that tells me I'm excelling at these things. And that's how I've been taught and that's how I've been trained and that's how I've been raised and that's how I've been created to excel, to go out and to do because God has called me to go out and to earn a living and provide for a family. And, and I don't really care to be loved for that. I just wanted to be respected for that. And again, it's a desire of our hearts to be acknowledged for those things. To submit is a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, and assuming responsibility and even the carrying of a burden. It's to make yourself, and this is the hard part, it's to make yourself vulnerable, but you're not placing your trust in the one whom you're being made vulnerable to. You're being vulnerable before the Lord. And you're trusting in the Lord when you do those things. And so again, I've heard every... You expect me to respect him? Well, let me tell you. And they're saying, let me tell you of every reason why I ought not to respect him. Or I've heard it from the men. Let me tell you of every reason why I ought not to love her. But again, the key word there is sacrificially. How long do I have to do this? Just as long is as necessary. And it's probably longer than you want it to be. But it might just be a little bit longer. So just continue on doing it. Continue on doing it and see what God will do. Because again, this is what God, it's not Pastor Mike, this is what God says. This is what God says is necessary in our marriages and is necessary in our lives. These are things that if we do them, they work. And you will see fruit. I guarantee it. Luke chapter 14, verse 26 Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So God's saying there's got to be a complete change of thought process here, a complete change of what you feel and a complete change of what you think. God's influence in your marriage has to be greater than any other influence that is out there. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 8 says, To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And I guarantee you, you're not going to have the marriage that you desire. My wife and I, we were married some, some 10 years before we were saved. And we kind of went through the cycles of the flesh that most people, you know, we had the honeymoon area or time and all that was just fine and dandy. There was kind of the establishment of our home and all that was good. And then, you know, after, you know, she, she kind of, well, I can't tell you too many of the things she did because I'll get in trouble for it, but um, I wasn't perfect either. You know, it's kind of the squeezing the toothpaste from the end versus the middle kind of a thing, just those little things. And then, you know what, you wake up in the morning and she's there. And you go to work and you come home and she's there. And then you go to bed at night and she's there. And all of her little habits are there. And those little things that can irritate you, they're always there. And she never goes away. And in the flesh, those things can be so grating at times. Can't you ever, don't you ever, and, and then you get into those little squabbles and those little fights, those little conflicts and... And it's those things that as we allow them to continue in our lives that there's, again, there's that pulling off into your corner and then you go and you draw your entourage to yourself and then she goes to her corner and draws her entourage and tells her how good she is and how right she is and the same thing. 
for you. And then we just don't have that marriage of all it can be. And we experience that to a degree. Nobody would say, if you would examine our marriage before the Lord, that we had a bad marriage. But definitely our marriage was not all that it could be. And it was when Jesus Christ entered our life that there was this great change. And it was a hard change. It was a hard thing to do. I can remember the night that she came home, because we were Catholic, died in the wool. Well, we weren't died in the wool Catholic. We were superficial Catholic, but we used Catholicism to ward off anybody that tried to share the word with us. And then she got invited to a Bible study, and I thought, well, I guess that's okay. And then she came home and she got saved, and then I had an issue with it. And she got saved before I got saved, but eventually, a month or two later, I got saved as well. And God started doing a work in our lives. And God does a work from top to bottom, from inside to out. Do not be conformed to the world, but transformed. Conformed is what we were. We were conformed. We were pushed by an outside influence into a mold of what the world said a marriage was. But what we needed was a transformation. Transformation is an inside work that works from the inside out. And God started doing that work from the inside out in our lives. He changed us. He saved us. But then he started doing a work in our marriage. And, you know, we were talking. My wife asked me the other day, what makes you happy? You know, just in life, just in one of those general stupid questions that women ask you. No. No, it was, it was, it was good. What, what makes you happy? And I thought, well, you know what? Makes, or no, what do you enjoy? What do you enjoy doing? And I told her, golf. <laughs> but, but no, she was open to that because I do. I enjoy golf. I, I, I like competing. And golf is kind of good because you compete against yourself kind of a thing. I, I can't play football anymore because I'll get hurt. can't play basketball anymore because I'll get hurt. So far, I haven't gotten hurt with golf, but you should see the people I play with one of these days. <laughs> I'll probably come in here without any teeth or anything. <laughs> but I, no, I told her, I enjoy, I told her, I enjoy Sunday morning. I enjoy it when all the church is there. I, I really enjoy Sunday morning and coming together with the body of Christ and just being with the people. We're just, you know, this is, this is family day. We're Calvary Chapel, Ontario this day, and it's just a really good thing. And then I told her, you know, one of my favorite things with her, and it, even before we were saved, I like going shopping with her and pushing the cart. I just like going shopping with her and pushing the cart. I know, I'm a very sweet guy when you get down inside the room. <laughs> I just enjoy that. I don't know why. I remember we did it when we were dating. We used to go to, I think, Albertsons or Ralph's. Albertsons, Albertsons in, in, uh, in Brea, and I would push the cart, and she would throw stuff in there, and... Um, I just like it. And those are just some of the simple things. Just, and really what it boils down to is just being with her. What do I remember some of the vacations? Well, last year, you know, as I've said before, we drove to Oklahoma. Two words that you don't hear in the same sentence, vacation and Oklahoma. <laughs> but the blessing part of it was, was going there and just being together and just driving, I think it was about 1,300 miles or something like that. And again, the bigger blessing was driving home because we were driving home, but also because we were together and, and able to be with one another. And then yesterday was just one of those days that we just kind of spent the day together. We're doing this little project in our bedroom, but we kind of put it off. We went door-to-door -door ministry, and we just walked together throughout this, the neighborhood that we had staked out for door-to-door -door ministry. And then we went to Jeff, who we just prayed for up here. We went to his going-away party. And then in the afternoon, we just kind of hung out in the house. And it's just you know who God has created us to be. Who's God created you to be, Pastor Mike? Sounds like two old people. Well, it is. And, but that's part of the blessing is growing old together. Because, you know, we've been married for we're 34 years. 
34 years. I can't even believe I'm 30, older than 34 years old, let alone been married for 34 years. But it's 34 years, and I want to be with nobody else but her and doing the things that God has called us to be. So what's the first way that a wife can submit herself to a husband? Well, a husband's companionship need is continual affirmation, confirmation, and validation of his leadership over the family. It's to be respected as a leader. And I can remember, and this is one of her faults, and I'm going to tell you, so I'm putting my neck out on the line, I can remember devotions, and I was slacking off a little bit devotions of the family, and I can remember one time her telling me, well, Mr. Spiritual Leader, are we going to be doing devotions tonight or not? And it's like, you know what? And I couldn't think of, should I not do them and get at her that way, or should I do them and get her at that way, but then she'll think I'm doing them because she said to do them, and I don't want to do them because she said to do them, although I know I'm supposed to do them, and it's just the flesh all got in there. She was wrong in that. She was wrong. I was wrong, and I'm the one who really caused her to stumble, but nonetheless, that wasn't a good thing. Because again, I need to be, now I shouldn't be respected for what I'm not doing, but there's got to be an encouragement as well, a respectful encouragement. Not manipulation, not respectful nagging, there's no such thing, but just respectful encouragement in the ministry that God has called us to do. It's God's plan, again, that a husband would be the leader of the household. It's what God anoints men to do. Look at it this way. It's not a role that most men want, have asked for, or really desire. How do I know? Most men don't lead. We just kind of come home, put our feet up, and then go back to work. And how many times have I heard, you know, that just leave it up to the woman, just leave the spiritual training and all that stuff up to the woman. But that's not what God's desire is. God's desire is that men would be the spiritual leaders. So a submitted wife is a tool in the hand of God to help her husband become what God has called him to be. Not according to the ways of man, ladies, but according to God's way. Keep this in mind. Women, who has trained your husband to be the spiritual leadership in your house? The majority of the answer would be no one. No one. I had no training in this. Now, yeah, from my pastor and from the Word, and the Lord has trained without a doubt, but when I first got saved, I had nobody really to look to and who the spirit. My father was not the spiritual leader of my house. My father told me the only reason that he went to church was because of us and my mother. He said, if it wasn't for you and your mother, I wouldn't even go to church. That really put a real strong desire in my heart to follow after the Lord. But it's true. If God has called us as men to be the spiritual leaders of our house, then that area of our lives is going to be attacked. There's going to be an attack there. And then your area of encouragement is going to be attacked. And so again, it's one of those things that we need to work together. I can remember sitting at the dining room table, and it was after work, sitting there. This was when the kids were young, eating my dinner, and one of the kids turning and asking my wife, can I do this? And she turned to him and says, your father is sitting right there. Ask him. And it's like, I don't know. And I'm kind of looking at her. Is it okay or not? Because if I say okay and it's not okay, then I'll have to listen to it later on. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, she's with them all the time. But 
you can see the, the respect there and the teaching and training and directing that child to where the answer truly does need to come upon. Because again, in training kids, my wife and I found that we have to, even if we're in disagreement, we have to be on the same page. And again, that's part of the submission and leadership and that a lot of things we mapped out in the places that we were in disagreement, we still came to a conclusion as a leader. Sometimes I needed to step up and to take that role of leadership and say, this is how it's going to be. And as we did that, as we were on that same page, we were able to be effective leaders within the home with our children. And so turn over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll see a failure in leadership, but we'll see a victor in submission. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 1. This is Peter's exhortation on the subject. He says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, so he's talking about women who are married to believers or unbelievers, It says, they without a word, and the idea here is you're not going to be able to talk them in. Now, you do share the word, but you will not be able to talk them into the kingdom of heaven, that they may be won by the conduct of their wives. And so, you have to speak the word. There's no doubt about that, but there's the conduct of the woman. How she presents himself is going to make the word effective in his life. Verse 2, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear or respect for God, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, the arranging of the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. He's basically saying those things are good, ladies, so continue to do those. Verse 4. Rather, let it be the hidden person, the person that you are, of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women, and notice what it says there, I've underlined it, who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Sarah is an amazing woman. Now you're telling me, i got to submit myself to him? Look who Sarah submitted herself to. This is a woman that they're traveling. First thing is, Abraham's bringing them to a place of a lack of trust in God. He's not being the proper spiritual leader. He was to go into the promised land and he was to stay there, but the first time something bad happens, he freaks out and he goes running to the world. So he's on his way to Egypt. But Sarah's right by his side. She didn't say, well, you know what? You can go there, but I'm not going. No, she knew what she was supposed to do. She was by her side. She's being obedient to God. And so as they're traveling, he says, hey, now think if your husband said something like this. I'm really concerned about my health and well-being here. If they ask about you, don't tell them that you're my wife. Tell them that you're my sister. Now, there was an element of truth that she was a half-sister to him, but nonetheless, can you imagine that your, your husband would say, you know, I'm concerned about somebody doing me harm. If anybody asks, you're not my wife. <laughs> I mean, that, that seems like one of the most insulting things to do. And so, as bad as that was, it gets worse. So they come, and sure enough, an entourage from Pharaoh comes and asks about her, and yeah, she's not my wife, she's my sister oh, okay, well, we're going to take her to the king's harem. And Abraham said, okay. As long as I'm okay, everything's fine. And so there's Sarah. Now, God kept her and kept her safe. But all of a sudden, can you imagine this woman? You know, put yourself in her place in her thoughts. Here I am. 
this man who God was going to make as numerous as the sand on the seashore, he's brought me into this place. He's denied that I'm even his wife. Now, all of a sudden, I'm in the harem of this absolute heathen. But what is she doing? Well, we're told right here, she's not trusting in him. She's trusting in God. And so, Abraham, he did come out a little bit good in this deal. He got some goats and some sheep for her. So, I don't know how many goats and sheep a woman is worth back in those days. With inflation, I should be able to get quite a herd for my wife. But nonetheless. And so... She's calling him Lord. That means she's submissive to his spiritual decisions. Now again, God, this was sin in his life. There's no doubt about that. But you notice she wasn't resisting and she wasn't complaining. And I'm not saying you are not to go off into sin if your husband directs you. But you just need to see the magnitude of trust that she had in God. I can imagine her being there on the balcony stuck in this harem and seeing him out with the sheep and the goats that he got for her and thinking, how is all of this working out? Well, we know God went before and delivered her, and they went on, and God used them. But she went without a word. She didn't nag. She didn't demean. She didn't use harsh or mean language. She didn't judge or badmouth. She did what God called her to do. And her conduct, her conduct was done in the Lord. So, to respect a husband. How do you respect a husband? Because if you're respecting your husband based upon your definition of respect, it may differ from his definition of respect. So I'll give you some of my definitions of respect or things that I appreciate. You can apply them to your marriages. On the way home, you guys can talk it out. Talk it out and ask your husband what is necessary for him to be respected. So respect from things I've experienced and from my own desires First of all, this wasn't so much because I've never heard my wife do this or heard of my wife doing it, but I have experienced it from other people. If you're going to respect your husband, do not badmouth him to others. No friends, nobody. Because that's, that's one of the absolute worst things that you can do in your marriage. It is to, to show and to display that lack of respect. I know women who have bad-mouthed their husbands to their kids. And you know what? That just destroys the whole fabric of a family. And again, it's, it's demeaning, and not only do I lose respect for the husband, but I also lose respect for the marriage and, and, and the family as a whole. And the thing about saying something bad, about being angry with a husband and then saying something bad about him to somebody else, sooner or later you're probably going to forgive him and everything's going to be all right again, but then that person's got a bad impression on who he is. Again, when you're doing that, it's not just getting at him, but it's dragging down your whole household. Don't backmouth your husband to anybody. Secondly, don't correct him in front of the children or really anybody else. That's disrespectful to him. And again, that means a lot to me. Because if you're bad-mouthing me in front of other people, that's just the same thing as if you did the first thing, bad-mouthing him to somebody else. And only you're doing it with me present. And again, it's just dragging down this ministry that God has joined these two together to achieve. Thirdly, not supporting him in the disciplining of the children. Again, use the spiritual leader of the household, and it's something that 
you guys need to get together and to be on the same page because God has joined you together through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we're told in Malachi, for the purpose of raising future generations. And so you must be on the same page. Because what do children do? Their plan is, and they don't even have to think it out, it's just their sinful nature, divide and conquer. If they see any kind of avenue, any difference between the two, they'll exploit that. They'll get in there and they'll drive a wedge between that and they'll use it until the cows come home or the sheep come home, whatever they are. But they will use that. So you have to be on one page. Support him in the disciplining of your children. Secondly, respect your husband. Don't tell him how to, and you can fill in the blank, without him asking for your help. Don't tell him how to do whatever it is that he's doing unless he asks for your help. I don't need detailed instruction. I probably have my own plan. And now maybe that's no big deal to you, but as a man, it's a big deal to me because what you're telling me when you're doing that is that I'm an idiot and I don't know how to do it unless, you, unless a woman tells me how to do it. And again, you need to see it from his perspective. Isn't that pride, Pastor Mike? Well, there may be an element of pride in it, but it's also how I am as a man. And I've told my wife when she's told me things like, you know, you're acting this way, you're doing that, and sometimes I tell her, well, then you shouldn't have married a man. Not, don't think that direction, but, you know, I'm a man, and I'm supposed to take this portion or this role in my marriage. And yeah, ladies, you're not always going to understand that, and might even be a little conflict there that you need to submit and to overlook. And yeah, it works two ways. We'll get to the the man's ministry next week. But nonetheless, just if you're telling me how to do things, sometimes I'm going to do it the opposite just to get at you. Unwilling to serve him in public. When I see a wife who serves her husband in public, it just speaks volumes of their marriage. The other day we were at my, were we at my daughter's or my daughter? I think my daughter was at my house, yes. My daughter and her husband were at my house, and I just saw her serve him. He was working on his computer. He was doing stuff for work. Their power was out at their house, so they came by, and he had to get some stuff done. And, you know, she takes the, the, the grand, my grandson aside and kind of lets him do his thing, and it's just neat. And my wife even will speak of this from time to time. It's neat to see them moving on in their Christian lives and in their marriage and her fulfilling the role that God has given her. And it just, it, w- it was a blessing, and it was an encouragement to me. You disrespect your husband as you are unwilling to cooperate with him on the financial matters of the household. You've heard it. Some of the biggest divisions in marriage are sex and finances, and it's true. And I've seen people who haven't been on the same page in their finances, and there's just that animosity. And it's that animosity that just continues to grow and to fester until there's some sort of explosion. And the explosion part isn't pretty. You need to be on the same page in your finances and you need to be moving towards the same goals because you will achieve those same goals together. You have to realize, again, you guys are not complete. Your differences are for to be for the good. You have two gears and the gears, they move together and they interlock and they move forward and they're able to achieve something because of the opposites that exist there. And they're able to interlock with one another. I didn't want to marry another Mike, or I didn't want to marry a Michelle. I needed to marry a Terry. I needed to marry somebody who was going to shore me up in the areas that I needed shoring and my shortcomings and all. I needed somebody to be accountable with. And then lastly, 
If you want to disrespect your husband, be unwilling to surrender to him physically. Again, nothing will destroy him quicker than a woman who rejects him that way. And God is very specific on that, that we are to give of ourselves to one another. Now, there's spiritual reasons for that, and there are physical reasons for that. As you guys come together in that relationship, that just cements, that because again, what, what is it about the relationship of husband and wife? How can that relationship cause two to become one? It wasn't as I was standing up there and, I, and they said, I do, as I read these vows. It's through this sexual relationship. Now, God's intent, we should be able to see this, God's intent that there would be a husband and wife and they have never had a sexual relationship with anybody else in their life, previous or will, in the future. This is to be a relationship that is unique to both of them. And God, as it is, in, in the perfect conditions, unfortunately we've defiled this in our society, but in perfect conditions as they come together, it's the only thing that they will ever do that they will never do with anybody else, and it really causes that relationship to be cemented and cemented strongly. I'm redoing a shower, and I'm going to be putting cement on the, on the floor, and as you float out the floor of a shower, you use concrete, and there's certain ratios, it's a four-to-one ratio, you use sand and cement, one scoop of cement and four scoops of sand, because that's the strong ratio that's going to give you what you need for a strong foundation. And again, the sexual relationship is to be that which develops a strong relationship, a strong bond, a strong bond in that household. I don't want to go too far with this, but what's the first thing you did after you got married? I'll just kind of leave it there. And that's good. It's good. It's, we need to have health in this area because the world has perverted it, and that's why so many marriages are falling apart outside the church and even inside the church. Know that submission is not a natural desire, but submission is a supernatural ability. You cannot submit to one another except to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to ask God to enable you in this area, because submission, submission is something that the world looks down upon, and it is contrary to people who have this sinful nature. But I guarantee you, as we look at these things from the perspective of God's Word, God is going to bless. Remember, ladies, God can change your heart, but He won't change your mind. You can't change your heart, but you can change your mind. And if you change your mind in these things, God will change your heart. If you change your mind and you make the decision that I'm going to do these things, you'll see God do a work in your heart. And I guarantee you, you will see results in his life as well. A couple of things that I just got off of a, a book I read, and I don't even remember the book. I've had this for quite a while. As far as in our marriages, you have to be the one to choose joy. Not happiness, but joy. Just to have joy in the spouse that you married and joy in your Christian life. Secondly, we need to honor the wishes of one another. I mean that which is of the Lord. To be there and to be available for the other person and to have that, that, that unity of time together that I would truly be a servant of Terry and Terry would truly be a servant of Mike. We need to emphasize each other's good points to build each other up and not tear each other's down. We need to pray for one another. As Ruth Graham Bell says, she advises wives, Tell your mate the positive and tell God the negative. 
Take your concerns to God. Faithfully lift up your husband in prayer every day, and you will likely notice a transformation not only in him, but in yourself as well. Don't nag. Your husband's a grown man, so don't treat him like a two-year-old, even though he may act as such as time. Learn to be thankful. Learn to be thankful for the person that he is and the good points that he does have. There's got to be something there. You married him. And there's one I really like. Smile at him. Just smile at him. Every once in a while, I catch my wife smiling at me. It embarrasses me, kind of, or, you know, it's kind of like, what? You know, kind of, is she thinking of killing me, or is she thinking, what is she doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Well, I just want to smile at you. And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of weird, but it's good. I kind of enjoy that. I like it. And maybe I'll smile back at her one day. Cherish togetherness. Again, it's those road trips that I so look forward. We just went up to my nephew's uh, wedding up in Santa Rosa, and again, the blessing was just driving together. Don't complain. Don't be a whiner and complainer. Nobody likes a whiner and complainer. You don't like a whiner and complainer. Don't be a whiner and complainer. Be an encourager. Learn to be content. Be content where God has you and who God has called you to be and who God has called him to be. And then lastly, protect his name. Protect his name because his name is the nature and the essence of who he is. Again, it all goes towards not talking him down in front of other people. Make people think that you have the most perfect marriage and and, and act accordingly. And I guarantee you, as you are doing that, you'll start to notice the little things that are the good things. It's the little things that are the best things in life. And again, God will bring these things to your attention. And as he brings these things to attention, you'll start finding contentment in ways that you thought that you never would. My contentment isn't in the house, the, the wood and, and stucco back down there in, on, uh, on Spruce Street. Contentment isn't in a car. One day it's going to be in a junkyard. Contentment is in relationships, relationships that I have with my grandchildren, my children, but how much more so my wife. Because you know what? I came to an understanding very early in my marriage. When I get up in the morning, she's there. When I come home from work, she's there. When I go to bed at night, She's there, and it's a really good thing that she's there. Father, once again, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you, Father, that especially in this area, this area that encompasses the totality of our lives, and I pray, Father, that, Lord, we would be people that as we dissect your word, that it would be for the purpose of doing your word, and how much more so, Father, should we be doing your word in the midst of marriage? Father, I pray that, you would, as maybe you've convicted our hearts in some areas, and Lord, we've seen ourselves as falling short in other areas. I pray, Father, that, Lord, we would have the mindset of obedience to you. And as I said earlier, this is a supernatural thing. This is something, Lord, that only you can do in our lives. In the middle of this prayer, I just ask, if you're married here today, will you stand up? I just want to pray over you. Just go ahead and stand up wherever you're at. Father, you see these who stand before you, and I do pray over them that you would bless them, that you would keep them. I pray, Father, for the things that you have shown them here today, that you would enable them in those things. That, Father, these marriages would be all that they could be, that they would be reflection of what God has done in their lives. And, Lord, as you have done a work in their lives, we pray for the work that you want to do 
through their lives. I pray for the kids and even the grandkids that are represented here, that, Father, we would just see this strong marriages to build strong household, to build a strong church and build a strong community. Father, these things are so lacking in our society today. I pray, Father, that we would be of the mindset that we're going to make that determination to stand up, to ask that we be filled with your Spirit, and to move forward, Lord, in the marriage that you would have us have, the person that you would have us to be. And so, Father, we just thank you for this morning. We pray, Father, that we would not just set this aside, but have the mindset again of doing these things, that you would be glorified through our lives and in our marriages, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all stand, please. All right, guys, next week it's going to be your turn.